0: Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now, on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. Here on the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, we talk about all kinds of approaches for making a better workplace from the inside out. My guest today goes even further. Kristen Knowles believes that a better workplace grows through executives who do the inner work of connecting deeply to their purpose. And she has the results to prove it. You might say that Kristen's very heart-centered work makes her the tech industry's innovation whisperer. Her advice to professional women working in tech is so on point. You'll find her optimism encouraging. And it will be a bright spot in your week, just like it was for mine. So join us. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. And today I have with me Kristen Knowles. Kristen is a 13 times award-winning leadership expert and coach. And over the last 10 years, she's built and led multiple coaching and leadership programs for top global companies in tech, healthcare, and NGOs. Her passion is helping organizations create brave cultures and coaching leaders to overcome burnout and lead from purpose. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about, Kristen. (laughs) She's the CEO of Brave Leaders Group, a full suite leadership firm that specializes in offering transformational leadership services that create brave cultures and inspire growth. So Kristen, I want to tell you, I am so thrilled to have met you and I welcome you to the show. Thank you, Karen. It has been
1: so wonderful getting to know you. And I'm just excited to be here to partner and just talk about some of these really important topics as it pertains to women and tech, but also just male-dominated industries. And I think the need that there is for brave, purpose-driven leadership in those areas.
0: Yeah, You know, that's what it's going to take. And I really want to dive in with that before we go there. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to the be in this particular role in leading these kinds of workshops for companies.
1: Sure. So my background is in HR and so started early on in a various, very general HR field and Within that, I was working with several startups. And because of that, we didn't have a lot of a budget, which happens oftentimes in startups. And we were needing to do a lot of work in the leadership development as the company I was working with was growing. And because of that, it was okay, well, let's build this thing in house. So dove into creating leadership development programs. And then from there, they were all custom as well. So we didn't buy things off the shelf, which is what traditionally happens. From there, it just really blew up, and it was a really impactful program. And a company called Ashurian, which is a global technology company, kind of discovered, found out what I had done, reached out, and had me come and work alongside them in building out and scaling their leadership development programs. And it was a wonderful opportunity. The company was already very large. When I started, it was probably about twelve, thirteen thousand people. By the time I left, it was over seventeen thousand. And we were able to see incredible growth in the area of helping people to grow within the organization, really improve diversity and inclusion, and see a growth and even women leadership in the industry, which was really important to me. And so doing that work, though, I really wanted to dive deep into understanding what was it that made some people really grow and transform through programs like that, and why sometimes it fell flat. So I did a bunch of research, dove into interviews and people who had gone through the program and Lots of research across the field. And what I discovered was that leaders who were one, connected to their purpose. So people who were very purpose driven, they were doing it for a deep internal reason, rather than just a title or growth or compensation. And then also leaders who were doing the internal necessary work to be able to apply the knowledge they were getting, those are the people who had transformation. So because of that, I was really inspired to go and build my own company within the leadership development and organizational development space, partnering with leaders and also companies to help them do this work, right? So that they really could be transformation and growth in leadership. And so a lot of what I do now is getting to come and build transformational programs that don't just offer, you know, here's general knowledge on leadership, but how do you want to actually come and make programs that people are shifting, your culture is truly growing, and that you see deep transformation And the inclusion and equity within a company really starts to expand and then working one on one with leaders to dive deep into, you know, overcoming burnout, helping them to lead and live from their purpose, and just to excel in both their life and professional and also their personal lives. So that's kind of how I got here. It's a long description.
0: But it's been a really exciting journey through it all. That is so incredible and wonderful that you've had that much impact right on reaching people reaching companies with a message that is actually kind of a heart-centered message in a non-heart-centered world you know corporate world is about making profits right especially in tech growth and market domination and profits and when you combine that heart-centered message it doesn't always find a landing spot in such an impactful way might kind of get there, right? But you've somehow slotted it into a company or found receptive clients that have really embraced it. So I'm curious what your observations are about that.
1: I think that's what drew me to corporate and wanting to do this work. A lot of people who I'm connected to, they decided that they were going to go and become coaches out there working one-on-one and helping people maybe quit corporate and all that. For me, it was Most people don't want to be entrepreneurs, right? We want to create, do impactful work, you know, in the areas that we're skilled and part of incredible companies. And so I really wanted to do work with organizations and with corporate, especially industries like tech, right, where they're so innovative And what they don't realize oftentimes is that in order to continue innovation, how much of that is heart centered work, it is vulnerable, it is creative, it is risk taking, and to be able to truly offer innovative solutions in that area, you've got to be able to do this work. That's going to help your people really go outside of the box and do things that most people would be too nervous or too scared to do, or they would try and fail. And then because they failed, okay, well, we shouldn't do that again. Let's play it safe next time. That was one of the things that drew me to it. And what I found is that when you can help companies or senior leadership understand the ROI on doing this type of work and as it relates to their business objectives, it's an easy yes because. Most people at their core actually do care. I actually work a lot of times with men and CEOs when I'm coming in, you know, initially. And most of them are like, I care about my people. But they're also interested in the bottom line and making sure that they have a profitable company for people to keep their jobs, which I completely understand. And so when I can help them understand that the ROI for doing this type of work is that you have a culture that more quickly innovates, they're able to test and try things out more efficiently, and then be able to learn quickly and iterate based on their failures, and then be able to go out and improve upon that. When I help them understand that that is the outcome that they get, then from there, we can back up and talk about the necessary work to create those cultures. Because you can't just say, awesome, I want that. Today, we're going to start doing it. You know, <laughs> we have to actually do the work and understand, okay, what are the barriers of our culture to be doing those things? What's hindering our leaders from doing that? What's hindering our people? What's getting in the way emotionally, But you have to start with obviously meeting their need and their why, and then they're more willing and bought
0: in. Would you say and I have so many questions. (laughs) Would you say that this starts, you know, from the top, that this is not something that is a grassroots, but once you have the leader at the top bought in and vested in this, that it flows from there, or do you find that you have to do a lot of recruiting to get people on board? How does this really work? Mm, That's a great question.
1: So I will say ideally, what is going to help this to be adapted more quickly is from the top down, right? So if you can get senior executive leaders really bought in, it's going to move that along and move the needle and really start creating momentum more quickly. Now, With that said, I will tell you that I've worked alongside companies that are very large and maybe it's a vice president who has found this work and they're very interested in doing this in their department. And in that situation, you oftentimes with large companies can get I hate to say siloed, but those de- if your department is large enough, it has a culture in and of itself. And so we can do that work even within just that department. And then from there, when the other sides of the business start to see, okay, what's happening there? Why is their retention going up, right? Why are their engagement scores improving? What's different? What's going on with this leadership? They're able to then influence the other areas of the company and say, look, this is what we're doing. This is the outcome. This is what has been helping our people to be able to do And then from there, you've got, it's like you see the results, right? So then they want it. They're interested. So it can go both ways, but either way, you do need a sponsor, I would say, at some sort of executive level to bring this in to really do it effectively, typically.
0: That makes sense. So as you're talking to companies and you're talking to individuals in the companies, and it becomes apparent, I think, as you said, that those who are really successful and get the change are doing the internal work. That seems like there's a lot of convincing that happens (laughs) to take people into that place where they're going to look inward, right? And do that kind of, of work. And it also has some potential pitfalls because sometimes we look inside and we find things in there that are very unsettling and need to have some very focused attention. So how do you deal with that in a corporate environment?
1: Yeah, you know, I will say, it looks different with each company with each individual, first of all, which makes sense when you're thinking it's internal work, right? Because it all is nuanced. So I will say, where I see the most transformation happening in this internal work area is when we're doing coaching one on one. So ideally, in an engagement where either I am, some maybe it's a leader who is, you know, an executive who has found me, and they're just like, I want to work one-on-one with you because of my own leadership, right, where I'm going through, especially during COVID, it was, hey, I'm facing all these areas, and then we're doing one-on-one work, and then from there, it's, okay, what would it look like to maybe bring you in and do some work with my team? So I found that that oftentimes the person is ready to do that internal work right they're coming and they're noticing that there's something that's off and that is a, the perfect situation however when you're when i'm doing Larger corporate engagements, and I'm brought in as okay. Now you're going to do coaching alongside these people, you've got to get that buy in, like you said. And my job is not to convince you that you need this, and my job is to help you discover the places that you feel that you know you can grow in and you want that growth, right? So, and so I have to kind of approach it in that way and also be really honoring and I I don't know another better word to use, but really honoring in the way that you're going to have different levels of when you're able to do this work over time. And so where you are today, we may only scratch the surface. But if we start scratching the surface, Over the years and down the road, you may continue this own work in your own life, maybe with other professionals or, you know, through your own, you know, self-discovery and continue doing it. But I've helped you to really kind of at least scratch this one place and see, oh, okay, yeah, I need to do some work there. And that creates that interest. So when I'm working a lot of times with like a large corporate team, and I'm having to get people to do that work. I'm oftentimes just more of finding out where their pain points are today what's going on and then my job is really to ask tough hard questions for them to have to do some honest reflection and again some people are more willing to go you know to go deeper than others and so I just kind of respect that place and where they're at and when their boundaries are and just continuing to shine light in areas and I found that people are really receptive to it when you start really meeting them where they're at now programs so I feel like I'm touching on three different areas. But these are kind of typical examples. But with programs, I actually bake that into it. So when we're building out custom leadership development programs for clients in corporate what we'll do, and we're not going to get super deep with those people because they're programs. I'm not doing one-on-one coaching with each one of these people, but what we'll do is we'll start with the self-leadership side. And before we really start going deep into how to coach your team members and how to you know, improve performance and all of that, we start doing a lot of work just on self-awareness. We talk about where they're at. What is it like to you know, be faced with emotions? What do emotions look like and how do they show up in your day-to-day and with your team and with your leaders? What happens when you get triggered in certain certain ways and how we bring that into other areas and meetings and into our work? Why is that a negative thing? And we, we start just showing like the, it's more of just building that self-awareness for them to have those aha moments that their internal world is impacting their external world and their work, whether they like it or not. And we just show them examples of that over and over and give them tools to be able to help mitigate that work, mitigate that those effects. The other thing we do is talk a lot about psychological safety, which is, again, a lot of internal stuff of we don't realize our internal world is creating a culture, you're creating a little mini culture within your team, within you. how you function with your colleagues. It's not the same as the grand culture that you're a part of, you're creating almost like little mini ecosystems. And so is the ecosystem you created around you healthy? Is it encouraging and creative? Does it shut people down? How do you recognize what the ecosystem is around you? And how do you improve that? So those are kind of different ways that we help people do that work.
0: That's incredible. That's just, it's actually kind of blows my mind a little bit because, and I'll just use some of the tech environments that I hear a lot about from other women. In fact, there was a very long thread on a Facebook group last night on this topic about, I think that self-awareness, emotional management, psychological safety, and how so many young women feel very unsafe in our environments in our tech environments in boot camps or whatever because there may be individuals who are in those spaces who don't have the self-awareness either they don't have the self-awareness or they're or they're just malicious actors who are out there to try to help you know women feel uncomfortable by making you know inappropriate remarks or behaving in an inappropriate way that you know makes the people around them kind of question what's going on and are they are they going to be safe i know that's going to probably not be happening so much at the executive level although i've seen it happen there too do you particularly see progress being made in creating more inclusive environments where this issue of psychological safety and emotional management tends to go away can you measure that and see that that gets better after you're working with a company That's a long question, but yeah. Do you see emotional management at all levels of the company getting better and self-awareness getting better when people at the top of the organization, leading the organization are improving?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think you touched on a lot of those pieces there, but when you start at the top level, what? you're doing is you're leading by example, right? So what that does is actually create safety to do the same thing, which is the whole basis a lot of times on psychological safety, it is, what are we saying is okay, subtly, you know, or maybe not directly? And what are we saying is not okay? That's a lot of what's happening oftentimes. So when you have people at your top level, doing that work and shining a light to it, letting people see this is the work we're doing on self awareness. This is the work we're doing to uncover our blind spots as a leadership team. We're holding up a hard mirror and seeing some difficult truths. When you do that, from there, it cascades down, especially to the next level, right? To the next level, it cascades down, it says, okay, that's okay. And it's safe to do. If I do that here, I'm not going to be ridiculed, and I won't be pushed out, right? So it's that first little test of safety. So as you do that, and then the next level gets it, it then you know trickles down again, it reinforces the message, and then you just create that ripple effect, right? And that's what we want to see. A lot of the ways we can start measuring that and whether we see improvement is one, your engagement scores, participation levels. So if you have participation levels, regardless of what we see in here. If we just have participation levels go up over two points, which can be very difficult to do of an engagement score. So say you had 79% of your employees participate in the last engagement score. And now this next time, because you've done that work, you see 83%. That's a huge jump. That's oftentimes very difficult to do. So even just seeing that shows us that psychological safety has really improved, It doesn't even matter if your engagement scores are low, because that even can be an indication that there is safety where people feel okay to say, more people are saying, hey, this hasn't been a really great environment. There's a lot of crappy stuff going on. That shows huge progress has been made in safety, because more people are speaking up, and they're willing to be honest. So I always see that as a huge win. I tell my clients, if we see that, don't be discouraged that actually is the best sign because if we have lower engagement but higher scores that means that it tells me that you have a pocket of people who are too afraid to speak up or they think that if they do speak up it will be for no reason and that nothing will happen that is a sign of poor engagement and that's also a sign that there is a safety and trust issue in the culture that we need to address and so i would say that's a one way we start seeing those improved you know, psychological safety. And then we can do work within teams on their trust, their 60s and just a lot of the feedback that we get there, as well as promotions. There's a lot of other nuanced ways, but I would say that's a huge win and that we can, an indicator that things are improving.
0: There's hope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have to say that I've discovered over the course of the conversations I've had, because I was in tech, you know, between the eighties and until about 2013, I was actively working in the tech sector or in the cybersecurity sector that I came to be. So I expected a lack of emotional awareness among certain portions of the organization. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And kind of learned to go in with my guard up a lot. And I'm sure that created a mini culture that could have been a lot better. And as I think about it, the kind of transformation that would happen for the people in the company to know that this was actually getting better, to have leadership model it and be talking about, this is what we're working on. We're working on self-awareness and we're working on emotional management and psychological safety. And we just want everybody to know that and we're not going to be perfect, but this is what we're doing and we hope you see this difference gosh, how people would start to breathe and relax a little more, maybe thinking that they're not going to have to come in with their defenses up.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. The other side of that, that we sometimes see, and I, I give clients this morning, is if you share that information, which you should, it will help improve the culture and the trust, like you were saying. But if you share that information but you don't show improvement and noticeable change then that's where a lot of times you'll see people say okay you're just a hypocrite right we'll see we'll start to see teams feel like you're only using this to make yourself look good rather than you know, are you actually doing the real work? And I think a big thing with that, that I tell people is one of the best and easiest ways to prove to your team that you're doing that and that you are really willing and and wanting to grow in that area is asking for feedback, continuing to make yourself available to their feedback. And then from that place, receiving it not being defensive and saying you know, I hadn't thought about that. Thank you for that insight. I'm going to take that away and really think about that, right? Thank you for being willing to share that with me. That's it. You know, so that in and of itself is huge, because oftentimes, our default is, you know, I hear you and and that's good feedback, but and then it's all the reasons why that's going on. Well, this is what's going on behind the scenes. And the thing is, even if there is a good reason, there's never a good excuse for you know, maybe some of those pieces that are happening, right? Poor performance or behavior. And either way, we need to model what we want our people to do, which is receive feedback graciously, take it and really consider it it may not all apply. And so you can discard the pieces that aren't. But if you're showing you're willing to have insight and allow people to speak into those areas, one, you're going to actually start making the changes and seeing transformation and and growing. And two, it's going to build that trust. So I tell people all the time, yes, do that work. Talk about how we're doing it. We're not going to be perfect. But make sure that you are exemplifying that work in your daily interactions with team members because otherwise it will create even more distress. People are honestly typically they don't like it, but they're more okay working for a hard leader that gives it to me straight. They're kind of a jerk. They're difficult to work with. They can be, you know, it can be, you know, rash and harsh, but at least I know where I stand at the end of the day and that's just where they are and I can't change anything about it. People can work for that leader. Way more easily than the manipulative, insincere leader who is on the outside and to everybody look at the work I'm doing, and you know, I know that I'm not perfect, and this is what's important to us and what we need to do. And then behind closed doors, it feels like a you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. High, you know, Hyde, oh, yeah. and, and that is where people start to this is toxic. I'm not okay. I got to get out of here. And so we have to be careful with those, you know, balancing that in the process and the journey of growth.
0: Yeah. You know, that reminds me of a lesson that I learned in my chaplaincy training. I was the palliative care fellow at the VA hospital in Portland, and we were doing rounds. I had the privilege of doing rounds with the physician. And so, we would go in and visit individual patients. And and of course, the patients in palliative care, the patients that I have are the ones that have been given a life-limiting diagnosis. And most of them were Vietnam veterans. And, you know, they'd been exposed to Agent Orange. They had this kind of you know ticking time bomb waiting to go off before the cancer showed up or or whatever that might be. So anyway, one of these guys, he was very active individual had come into the hospital, got a diagnosis that was not a good one that he he didn't have a lot of time left. His cancer was really advanced. And I found myself because I was not prepared to Hold that emotional space. I should have been, but I wanted to make him feel better. Do you know what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. this natural urge to want the other person to kind of moderate their reaction. <laughs> and so I didn't hold that center. Like you said, you know, a leader who is maybe hard to work for, but you know what you get is so much easier to work for than someone who is a moving target. And I after this visit, which didn't go very well in my estimation, I came out and talked to the physician and I said, so how do you think that went? Because I knew it hadn't gone well. (laughs) I knew it hadn't gone well. And he said, I'm going to just tell you that the one thing you absolutely must do is know yourself. You have to be able to stand, even if it's uncomfortable and not necessarily pleasant for the other person. You need to be able to stand in that authority with the, enough strength so that they have something to work off of. Because if you're moving, they don't have any solid ground. And I thought that was such incredible advice. And I wish I had known that as a young manager and leader, that it isn't about tr- Kind of moving all over the map and adjusting situationally. It's about knowing yourself well enough that you're a known entity and everybody knows what they're going to get all of the time. And that's uh, not an easy thing to teach, I don't imagine.
1: It's not. And it's the balance of that being so important and also saying, okay, you need to know yourself, you need to be able to hold yourself and be, you know, be strong in this area. You know, I like to tell people I I use a mantra that I learned from Brene Brown. So I'm going to say it's not mine. But she'll say, you know, don't puff up, don't shrink back, stand your sacred ground. And so there's the role in the work of doing that and knowing yourself and being secure and standing in that, while also doing the exact simultaneous work of I'm adapting and I'm fluid and I am willing to stay soft and teachable and grow, right? I don't have all the answers and it's okay that I don't have all the answers. I would rather be honest with you that I'm still learning and I need to improve in that area. I don't have it all right today, right? It's like you need both. And that that's a hard tension to sit in because people, you know, they talk about it. I use like, you know, raising children, it's similar in that, you know, they say kids actually just need to know. And what builds trust with them is that they know someone is in charge and that no matter how horrible or whatever situation they face, this adult in my life, this parent can handle it. They can handle my big emotions. They can handle my breakdowns. They can handle whatever comes and that gives kids stability. They don't like it when we are the ones in charge and taking authority in that situation, but actually gives them stability. While at the same time, I also am you know have learned a lot in the you know area of kids also need to see us model saying I'm sorry, I messed up. That wasn't okay for me to do that. Will you forgive me? That, you know, typically what the problem is, is that kids have a hard time with admitting when they're wrong and apologizing. And you see that as people get older, because they don't see their parents mimic that they don't see them showing it's okay to make mistakes. And when I do that, I'm going to bend down to your level, even if you're four years old and say, hey, that was not okay. I am sorry. I shouldn't have acted that way. Will you forgive me? And that models that to their children. So it's like both are important. They need to know that I'm strong and capable in this, but also that I make mistakes and I own them and I grow from them.
0: Yeah. Well, I knew I loved you because that's my second favorite mantra from Brene Brown. (laughs) (laughs) My first favorite mantra is choose discomfort over resentment which I think also applies in these kind of management settings. But I love how you're taking this and applying it not just to the workplace, but to families and parenting. And there's something else that Brene Brown talks about, and that is that the men in our lives, the men in our communities and in our workplaces, There, I mean, there's a history of culture that, essentially says, you need to be the knight, the shining knight on a white horse. And men, I think, with the pressure that they take on and this history that's behind it, seem to adopt this position that says, it's okay if, you know, I'm up here on this white horse, but people around me would rather see me die than to fall off. Mm. Do you Um, know what I'm saying? mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's all kinds of phrases that are applied to that now, you know, because some people talk about toxic masculinity, and there's all kinds of catchphrases that I think over time kind of get conflated and maybe lose some of their, you know, precision and what they mean. But to have that kind of pressure, and most of the men in tech, or most of the leaders in tech are men still at the top level. We still have a very low percentage of of women in the senior leadership of most of the large tech companies. And so what I'm wondering is how you see this change evolving over time with this long culture that has grown up in the industry, in all of these male-dominated industries, and this now move towards a more heart-centered, more vulnerable approach that's having great results, but... You know, you're bucking a very long historical trend. So how long do you see this taking to, like, create culture change and lasting change that's going to start to create the kind of inclusive environment that is welcoming to underrepresented groups?
1: Wow, that's (laughs) that's a loaded question. And I'm sure I do not have remotely the right answer. But I was just thinking about this what was it last night, I think. And so I'm going to give another parenting analogy. That's funny, but it should make sense. When you have young, young kids, typically they say under three years old, you'll talk to a parent and they'll tell you it feels like, you know, time is rushing by and yet they are exhausted forever. And there's the saying of, the days are long, but the years are short, right? And so it's that feeling of in the middle of it, it feels like this is taking forever, and we're getting nowhere. And I'm just exhausted. And how much longer can I do it? And then you look back and you're like, wow, look at the amazing, how fast that went and the progress that happened. Like the years went by just like that. And I think we are seeing that even take place. And I think we're going to continue to see that escalate even faster in this industry. I was just watching something last night. It was basically portraying something from the mid 80s. And I was thinking, wow, the insane amount of progress we have made since the mid. True. A- <laughs> Huge. Um, yes, you were saying you were working that time. Huge amounts of progress. And that, you know, now looking back, like that was happening in the 80s. Are you serious? Or in the 90s? I was also reading something recently about, you know, the mid 90s. And, a lot of the culture and the technology industry, especially in the 90s, and when things were moving into, you know, the boom. And so all that to say, I think we can noticeably measure massive growth that has happened since those times. However, it does feel hard and we're bucking against the system. And it feels like, are we even making progress? It feels like we've been battling this forever. And so I think it's going to be a combination of we're going to look down the road 10 years from now, and it's going to look extremely different. But yet, I'm sure we will still have more work to do because we're always growing and there's always new things coming to light of where we can improve. And that's a great thing. So there's a massive shift that has happened within the last, so in the last five, Five years, I would say there's been a huge push for diversity and inclusion. It's really come on the rise. And then within the last 12 to 24 months, last year or two, it is really heightened as a you can't just say this is nice, and you also can't just offer unconscious bias training and say we checked a box and say we did it. Instead, there's now this shift of we're going to hold you accountable as an organization to see. What you're doing to provide a more equitable and inclusive work culture. And a lot of that is going to be seen as women. How many women are in your senior leadership? What about women of color, right? What about minority groups? How are they represented? Do we see ourselves represented in senior leadership? Which is what the inclusion piece is. I need to see a role model. I need to see that I can be represented here and I can be included and belong. And that is becoming where before I think it was more focused on the diversity issue. Do we value diversity? Now it is, are we actually showing the inclusion? And then the next step will be, what does it look like to have an equitable workplace? And so I think we're just making those steps. And because it has been moving, we're picking up momentum, and we're going to start seeing traction, I think five years from now, we'll have this pull of, Man, it feels like we've done a lot of work. Are we where we want to be? But yet, we're looking back. We're going to be able to see a marked difference before 2020, if that makes sense. Of what how things were and where we will be by then.
0: You know that is so encouraging, and I love how you took a look at how much difference we've, uh, how much we've growth we've had since the 80s. Because every time I watch the movie Grease with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, I'm like, what? And that's, that's, it's pervasive. It's in so many of our, you know, entertainment venues, listening to these messages that were reinforcing that, you know, cultural bias and stereotype that wasn't very helpful if you were not part of them, you know, male dominated, you know, dominant group. So I agree with you. I think that in spite of the fact that Parity is gonna in pay and equality, according to the World Economic Forum, is gonna take us another two hundred years. We are making progress and the workplace is getting better. And I'm pretty sure that we're gonna start to see such measurable results like this like the results that you see in your clients, that it's going to start to become a competitive advantage for people to pay attention to this. And when we see more women in very senior roles, we're going to start to see the curve accelerate even faster because this is what women are great at, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think we'll start to see that the ROI on it. I think you had mentioned it earlier when you were asking the question, it was, or you were hinting at it in some ways that basically it was, it's been very male dominated, but yet you're asking Men who traditionally are not as skilled at being very flexible, very soft, very receptive, and open. Now, men are more naturally typically okay with risk and being willing to have risk, but the balance is needed. And so I think when we start seeing women in senior leadership, we're going to see companies able to move through a lot of these iterations and really grow in innovation and creativity and come up with incredible ideas and be able to work through them and get them to market faster because you're going to balance the ability for men to typically, and again, this is very generalization, which I sure. typically hate doing yeah. You know, men are typically, they're less risk averse, you know, it's okay, sure, you know, if we lose this, no big deal, we'll make it back. As long as we can, you know, do this quickly and show the results and the ROI, it's worth it. But then they don't have the the skill that most women do of, hey- What's the creativity aspect? What do we need to bring into this? What are the user experience and how people will you know engage with this? How do we be flexible and really resourceful when we need to? Because when things start to go south, we're going to need to adapt quickly, problem solve, iterate, and be able to move through those situations very fast. And women do those things typically more easily than men. So the balance between those and having that work in tandem is going to be uh, monumental And we'll see that. And like you said, I think it will create somewhat of a competition of, okay, well, look what they're doing. How do we mimic that? How do we, we
0: need to create that same ecosystem ourselves and our leadership. That is such a compelling vision. I mean, I just got kind of goosebumps that... The idea that we could take the best of both worlds like that and embrace the polarity. We're not trying to make everybody the same. What we're trying to do is make an environment where everybody brings their best and is operating at their peak in tandem from the place of strength. Wow, if we could get to that point, we would be unstoppable, honestly. yeah, That would be just, and so much fun. And I have worked in environments like that. I've been Really lucky in my lifetime to work for organizations and bosses that kind of embraced that on a local level. And it was an experience where it was like I couldn't wait for Monday morning, like, because we were going to just go do amazing things together. And I just wish everybody could have that kind of work experience. In the time we've got, I know that there's a lot of people out there listening to this who are like going, I am so sick and tired of beating my head against the wall and working so hard just to be heard. What would you say to young women, young professional women in tech who are fighting that fight and kind of wondering if they, they've got one foot out the door and wondering if they should just bail? What would you say to them about what they can do? While they're waiting for this amazing change to come.
1: Wow. I think there's so many things within that, the work to be able to do during that. First, I would say it's so important for you to be really, really deeply connected to your purpose and to your why, because when those situations happen, which they will, you've got to be able to come back to a grounding place of I'm doing this because of this, right? This is why I'm here. And this is why it's worth the fight. And so first of all, even knowing do you have a reason that you're doing it is huge and connect to that really resonate and and sit there within it and hold on to it in those hard times. Second, I would say build your resilience skill. And that is something that's difficult, because often we're wanting the other person to change, right? We're needing this to change. And I need to figure out how to get this person to hear me, or how to do this or get them to be a certain way, or to change this, as opposed to What do I need to do to be able to be in this place, right? And to sustain myself in this environment. So I would say really dive deep into your resilience skills. There's a book called The Obstacle is the Way, and it is incredibly powerful. We actually led a book club on this with a tech company, that I worked with and it was really insightful to see people do that work and to use it in that environment. So I would recommend reading that, diving in and doing internal work in yourself so that you can then have great tools to continue to build your resilience, know how to use the obstacles you're facing to help you not only just stay there, but also overcome and use them to your advantage because that is available and we just have to understand how to tap into those places. And then lastly, I would say, be willing to belong to yourself first and foremost, and that you may not be understood in the midst of it. But you will always, even if it fails you, you will have so much more peace of knowing I was true to myself, rather than well, I compromise to try and fit in and to be what they wanted me to be. And that only backfired. And now I feel like I wasn't even true to myself, I failed who I was, as opposed to, you know what, I spoke up when I needed to, I stood for what I believed in, and was true to who I am and was authentic and was brave. And that may not have been received here but I at least know that I did that and I was true to myself. There is so much power in that when you are even in the midst of failure. So those would be the things that I would say to do, which again, it's not an easy fix. I'm sure a lot of people hearing that are, well, that doesn't tell me how to go fix the situation or my boss or whatever it is, you know, the people, my colleagues I work with. and, And I usually tell people that's because the most important work is typically the internal work first. And we don't like that. And it's hard. It's not quick, get rich, easy, fix my problem. But it's where the true growth and transformation happens.
0: I love you. (laughs) (laughs) You you. are so amazing. This is such great advice that, you know, what do we have that's within our sphere of control? It's us. Mm -hmm. I can't fix my boss. I can, all I can do is choose to show up as myself hold my values in you know my as my north star not compromise that and if it turns out that i have to go find another job then so be it right right it's like there's an abundance of jobs out there people <laughs> so we're not stuck we're never stuck we always have that choice so i would love for you to take a moment and let people know how they can get a hold of you because you are a goldmine of information here and wisdom. And I'm so grateful that you're on the show. How can people get in touch with you and find out more about what you offer?
1: Thank you so much, Karen. I love talking with you. Whenever I feel like we just, even just our first meeting, it's just, I think we just connect on such deep levels. So I love it. I could talk for hours and thank you so much. <laughs> we'll come back and do it again. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> You can find me at my website, which is kristenknolls.co. so not com. That's usually I'll get people like, is it com? Nope. kristenknolls.co. And then you also can find me on LinkedIn or also on Instagram. And... Those are probably the easiest ways to get in touch with me. I run a coaching program one-on-one that I work with executives and senior leaders who are wanting to do this deep internal work. I just am getting ready to open the wait list for 2021 and to start taking clients again. So I'm excited to do that. And then you can go to our website for the co and look under services for the work we do with corporate partnerships and companies.
0: Excellent. Well, I imagine that there's people listening who are going to be reaching out to you, and I am encouraged that that you are out there showing up and doing this work in a way that's going to make the workplace better from the inside out for everyone. So that's what we're all about here. So Kristen, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today. And for anyone who needs to find out more information about Kristen, if you didn't happen to write it down while you're listening to the show, you'll find it in our show notes. If you go out to the podcast's webpage and yeah, check it out. You'll see the posts on social media and that'll take you straight to the place where you can find out all the information about Kristen and what she's offering and all the notes from the show. So, we look forward to having you back. Let's do this again sometime check in and see, you know, what kind of amazing progress and maybe towards the end of the year we need to make a kind of check in about did we make progress this year because, you know, there's going to be a lot of good things I think that'll happen in 2021. I agree. I agree. I would love that. Great. Kristen, thank you so much. I'll talk again soon. That's it for today's show. Mojo Maker for Women in Tech Podcast is part of the ecosystem of knowledge sharing and affordable group coaching to help reverse the trend of women leaving tech and to help diverse women in male-dominated industries get the visibility, opportunities, and compensation they deserve. Be sure to check out our five-day challenge by visiting us online at createyourleadingedge.com. Like what you hear, subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you listen to the show. We'll be back again next week. Be well, stay strong, and remember, be an ally.